Father, we do continue to come before you and praise you for for who you are. We praise you for your kindness, your mercy, your love, your goodness. We praise you for your tremendous mercy and love in which you sent your only son to die for our sins. And I thank you that he willingly came. Thank you that because of Jesus we have the forgiveness of sins. Father, I thank you that you've revealed that in your word and that it's through your word pointing to your son by him that we are born again to a living hope. And Father, I thank you that we can also grow in respect to salvation and that you use your spirit-empowered word to do so. Lord, I pray for soft, pliable hearts today that will receive your word and respond in a way that would be glorifying to you, that all of us would do so. We commit this time to you now, in Jesus' name. Well, who do you look up to? What examples do you follow? If you were to think of a person that you would want to emulate, who would that person be and why? Well, the world emulates all kinds of different people. And usually it's those who are head and shoulders above the rest, those who are popular, those who are, who are fun, whatever it might be. That's what the world does. But who are we as believers to emulate? Who are we to imitate? Well, today we're going to continue our look at examples of faith to follow. And we're going to see and take a look at Timothy. Timothy, he was a Christ-focused, proven servant. So would you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, as we continue our study. And most of you have been here for the context of Philippians. You've been here through the book. But Paul is writing to believers in Philippi while under house arrest in Rome. He's about to go before Caesar, and this is one of his four prison epistles, uh, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon. He is very close to the Philippians, having the privilege to share the gospel with them, bringing about uh, a new church back in Acts 16, 10 years earlier, with uh, Lydia and her household and the Philippian jailer and his household becoming saved. The Apostle Paul has... Uh, shared his thankfulness in this letter for God's past work in them. And his confidence, because they're true believers, that God would complete that work. And then he shared his prayer, and his desire was that their love for Christ would abound in true knowledge and real discernment, so that they would choose the excellent things that would glorify God. And Paul shared his circumstances that although he was imprisoned, the gospel was not imprisoned. And that God was being magnified through even the difficulties he was going through. And he understood that his life being on the line, to live was Christ and to die was gain. And then he came to the Philippians and he shared with them and encouraged them to walk in a manner worthy of their heavenly calling. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. To stand firm and strive together against the opposition, knowing that this is a sign that they, the Philippians, are on their way to glory, and their opposition is on their way to destruction. And we saw in chapter 2 how we are to maintain unity in the body of Christ, where the Apostle Paul motivated them and us to unity through the common truths we share as believers. And true believers were commanded to think the same way, to have same-mindedness. And practically speaking, what that looks like is doing nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Never be motivated by self-interest or pride or vainglory. But we should be regarding others as supreme, super above one another. Scoping out ways and looking for ways to regard one another as more important than ourselves. And then we saw how all this can be done. It's only when we have the mind of Christ, when we have this attitude which was in Christ Jesus that we can do these things. And then the Apostle Paul gives the example of selfless humility of Jesus Christ, God who took on human flesh. He exemplified the mind, obviously we see the mind exemplified in what he did. 
He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and he humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the mindset we should have. Humble obedience for God's glory. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every other name. At the name that Jesus bears or, or possesses, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. And then we saw the implications for every true believer that we are to be working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's not a willy-nilly Christian life. It is a, it is a, a situation where God has called us out of sin and into his marvelous light. We are new believers, we're, or we are believers, transformed new creations. And God is at work in us, and therefore we are to work out what he is working in us with fear and trembling. We're to be, we're to be obeying, and the Philippians were. And then we saw the first direct application of working out our salvation with fear and trembling, having the mind of Christ, which was to do nothing or all things, nothing without complaining, nothing complaining, how do I say that? Do all things without complaining or arguing. And we saw a temporary purpose because we are shining lights in this world. But then we saw the eternal purpose that in holding fast the word of God, our lives would be manifest in such a way that when we came before the Lord, we truly would have been changed in a sense and he would be glorified. And the apostle Paul made it clear he wanted to rejoice in, in, in what God had done through them rather than have all that work in vain. And it's from that we see that we come to some examples of the mind of Christ. As we saw last week, the Apostle Paul, an example to follow. A man who was spent for Christ. A man who had a life well spent. And from that we see there is true joy in giving over our lives for each other as Christ Jesus did for us. As we trust and obey the Lord, giving ourselves over to him, we give ourselves over to one another. And that's where there's joy. And Paul wanted them to rejoice, and he wanted to share his joy with them, and them share their joy with him. And it's from this we come to two more examples of faith to follow. Today we're going to see Timothy, and then next time Epaphroditus. So again, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, where we're going to see that Timothy was a Christ-focused, proven servant. Verse 19, but I hoped in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also shall be coming shortly. Now, the main point of this passage is to prepare the way for Timothy to come and minister to the Philippians. We're going to see in a little bit that he had been with them before three times. And the main point, that's what Paul is doing. But in the preparation for the way for Timothy, for them to respond, Paul gives us some insight into the character of Timothy that we can learn from. That we can learn from. Notice, first of all, he shares his desire, Paul shares his desire, in the Lord to send Timothy to the Philippians to learn of that spiritual condition. Verse 19, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Now we're going to see the Apostle Paul desires to send Timothy to the Philippians to learn of their condition, to learn of, as we'll see, their spiritual condition. He is concerned for them. And I praise God that he is so gracious to not only tell us what to do, but he gives us examples in Scripture of what we are to do. You see, we might be tempted to say, oh, you know, obviously I can't be exactly like the Lord Jesus. He's God who took on human flesh. I know I'm to be sort of like him. I know I'm to be like him, but I can't be him, obviously, right? 
But God gives us examples of those who trusted in Christ and manifest his character that we would learn from that. You see, we should follow Jesus Christ, and we are to follow Jesus Christ. But we're also to look at those who are faithfully trusting and walking with him, not perfectly, but walking with him, and imitate, as we will see, their faith in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 4.16, I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me, Paul says. Mimic me. 1 Corinthians 11.1, be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ, Paul writes. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Now I command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. And he goes on at the end of that portion, 2 Thessalonians, to say that you might follow. We had a model for you guys that you might follow our example. You see, as we trust in Christ, it's going to manifest in how we act around one another and how we behave. And there are examples in Scripture for us to see, inspired by the Spirit of God, that we might mimic from a right heart. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. That's how they led you. They shared the word of God. And considering the result of their conduct, do what? Imitate their faith. Trust Jesus like they did. Imitate their faith. So we're going to look at Timothy's example today, having looked at Paul's last week, and we'll look at Epaphroditus next week. And these human examples assure us that obedience in Christ is possible. We have a lot of excuses. Oh, this and this, this. You don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. You don't know my work. You don't know the situation. Oh, excuse after excuse after excuse. But we see in Scripture, excuses don't hold water. We see true examples of believers who trusted Christ and manifest his character. And we are to mimic and imitate them. So then Paul desires to send Timothy to these Philippians. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. And notice at the end of our passage in verse 23, Therefore I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come to you shortly. This passage is about sending Timothy and Paul's desire to do so. But within the passage is the character of Timothy and the reason why they should accept Timothy when he comes. To, to check on their condition. Now notice the Apostle Paul. He is not someone who just makes plans and does it. He doesn't just sit there and say, hey, you know what, we're going to send Timothy. That's the way it's going to go. We're going to do this. We're going to do this in the church. We're going to do that. Whatever it might be. He says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, or literally quickly. And our passage begins with a contrast. But... Paul is contrasting his deep desire that these Philippians would rejoice with him in difficult circumstances and that they would share that. And within that, he contrasts that with his deep concern for their spiritual condition. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. It's amazing if we could only grasp this concept that Paul was submitted to Christ. He submitted his decisions to the Lord. It doesn't mean we don't make decisions. It doesn't mean we don't make plans. It's the heart that yields those plans over to the Lord. It's interesting. At times I talk to people about what they might do. Well, I'll do this and that. No, I don't want to do this or that. What are you saying? The Lord wants me to do it. I'll do it. Whatever it is. And when I make a plan, I hope in the Lord that this is what he wants me to do, that he'll lead me in this. And the Apostle Paul was a model of trusting in Christ. Lord willing. You know, we sometimes use that as a little tag-along and don't do that because that's wrong. But where we actually in our heart of hearts believe that what is we've planned or what we might do is in the context of God's sovereign will, if he desires or not. It's a yielded heart to the Lord, not an external hypocrisy of putting spiritual lingo on your sentences or emails. It's a yielded heart. It's a yielded heart. 
One pastor writes, he, Paul never wanted to act independently of his master's desires. He submitted all his plans to the Lord. The Lord was sovereign. Everything was submitted to the Lord. That was the bottom line. And folks, when we don't do so, we are arrogant. We are arrogant. Do you understand what the word arrogant means? It speaks of pride, but it's pride in your face. It's not just pride inside. Arrogance comes out. It's pride in your face. And we do, when we do not make our plans trusting in the Lord and having Him sovereign over them, we're being arrogant in a sense in God's face. And it's evil. Turn to James chapter 4 for a moment and I'll share this from the scriptures. You know, and just as much as saying, Lord willing, we'll do this, sometimes we're not willing to even accept the options. We'd be open to everything and trust the Lord and place those before him and then make our plans and allow him to direct our steps. But we see something in James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. A simple statement doesn't sound too bad, doesn't sound very evil, doesn't sound very sinful at all, does it? Well, it is. If that's the mindset from the heart of a believer, it's an evil statement. And how many times do we make plans and not include the reality of God's sovereignty, submitting ourselves to him? Notice what he says here. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Can any one of you tell me what's going to happen to you tomorrow? We have plans. We have thinking. If we think something might happen, we have no idea. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears a little while and vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. The Apostle Paul was not arrogant in his plans, especially in ministry. I hope in the Lord. And it wasn't a tag-along phrase, it was from the heart. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy. What about you? Do you place your decisions before the Lord? Lord, I'm, I'm putting it in your hands. This is my desire. This is what I think you want me to do, but it's in your hands. Whatever you want. You know, until you're totally broken that way, you're never going to be living a joyous Christian life. Until you're totally emptied, completely, you've not, not one thing you're actually holding on. Now we grab little things here and there, but you let them go. Until you're yielded to Christ. So he hopes in the Lord to send Timothy. Paul was very concerned. Notice the reason why he's going to send Timothy. He says here, But I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may learn, or so that I may also, excuse me, be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Paul hopes in the Lord to send Timothy to the Philippians shortly, or quickly, and the reason why, so that I also... He's including Timothy in that. I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Now, Paul uses an interesting word here to, that's translated encouraged. Paul often will coin cognates of words that we, you don't see in other areas of Greek writing or other portions of Scripture, where he'll take two pieces of two different words and put them together to make something. And here he says encourage, and he uses the term here, uh, he uses the term encourage uh, well or good with the word suke, your soul. That I would be good souled. That my internal reality, who I am, would, would be well when I learn of your condition. That shows an internal heart reality. Paul was not a, a, uh, a hireling. He was genuinely concerned for those who were truly in Christ. Those who wanted to follow the Lord. He was genuinely concerned. And he says, I hope so that I also may be good-souled when I learn of your condition.
You see, he desired to hear of their spiritual condition, and he was assuming it would be a favorable report. You remember what the Apostle John said in 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than this, than to hear of my children walking in the truth. Obeying the Lord God. I'll tell you, what grieves me the most is when I talk to people, when you're not obeying Christ. Whether it's excuses or this or that or whatever it is. Rather than, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus and he needs to help me and I trust him to do so. He's faithful. And obeying Christ. It's a joy to hear of those doing well in the Lord. But equally it's grieving when they are not. The Apostle Paul was very concerned about the body of Christ. He shares in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, who is led into sin without my intense concern. He talks about uh, the pressure of, of concern for all the churches. We're going to see that word concern there. And also in our passage is a, is, a, is a word that speaks of worry, actually. Same word translated anxiety, but it's different. We'll talk about that in a minute. So what type of things might Paul be looking for? What dangers might have the Philippians been in that he was concerned about? What dangers might they have been? Well, we all know we have dangers, right? We all know that. But what things specifically were a threat to the faith, their faith in Jesus Christ? Earlier in this letter, he elaborates to some specific threats. We saw in chapter 1, there was opposition and the result was suffering. Chapter 1, verse 27, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you, so that you are standing firm in one spirit, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by what? Your opponents. They had opponents. Which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. And that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Suffer for his sake. Suffering. Opposition. What about chapter 3? We know there were threats from false brethren. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble for me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. There were false guys there. There were bad guys. Chapter 3, verse 20. We know that many, he says, often weeping are now enemies of the cross of Christ. Many are enemies of the cross of Christ. And then in chapters 2 and 4, we see that their own flesh was a threat, right? Do all things without complaining and grumbling. Chapter 4, verse 2. I urge Judea and Syndicate to live in harmony in the Lord. There was difficulties. Chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. There's obviously the temptation to be anxious. Obviously, the Philippians were just like you and I. They were threatened by direct opposition. They had false teachers teaching. They had worldly influences and their own flesh. All the same stuff that we are in danger of. And Paul was concerned for their spiritual welfare. This is why he sent Timothy to check on their spiritual condition. So that he would be well sold in the midst of suffering hopefully having learned that the Philippians were doing well in the Lord. You see, when the Apostle Paul is checking their condition, he's checking about their faith. First Thessalonians chapter 3, he sent Timothy to Thessalonians to check into their faith, see how they were doing. How, are they trusting the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are they relying on the flesh? Are they falling apart? Or are they trusting and obeying Jesus? So the Apostle Paul was living out the reality of seeing others as more important than himself. We're going to see that. You see, you say, how so? Well, sending Timothy was quite a selfless act. We're going to see in a minute, Paul had no one of same soul or kindred spirit. 
and he was willing to send him away. He's in prison with somebody who is just like him and the Lord. Isn't that wonderful to have someone who is following the Lord that you're having fellowship with? And he's going to send him away. He's considering the Philippians more important than himself. Selfless concern rather than self-centered concern. He was focused on seeing others as more important than himself. He's an example for us. And folks, we can become so selfish and self-centered and self-focused. And one aspect of that will be in not looking out for the spiritual welfare of those the Lord has placed in our path. Paul was more concerned about the Philippians in his own circumstances. So at this point, why would Paul send Timothy? Why Timothy? I've already alluded to it. We've read through it. But why send this man and not someone else? There were believers in Rome. Remember Caesar's household, chapter 4, says hello, right? These are believers. But the reality is not every believer, not every believer's heart is at a place where someone may want to use them for Christ. We're going to see that. So what can we learn from Timothy's example? Verse 19, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. He's concerned about them. For, look at this, the explanation, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven worth, of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. This is a tremendous passage. Now as we look at Timothy, we're going to see he was single-minded. He was seasoned, proven, and he was a submissive servant of Jesus Christ. Now, just a brief bio of Timothy as we get in talking about him. Scripture reveals that Timothy was a native of either Derby or Lystra. These were areas in Galatia. His mother was a Jew by the name of Eunice, his grandmother Lois, his father was a Greek. We see that he was probably raised in Greek educated in Greek culture because he was not circumcised initially. We know from 2 Timothy chapter 3 that he knew the truth concerning salvation which comes from the scriptures, that he was taught the sacred scriptures from childhood by his believing mother Eunice and his believing grandmother Lois. Praise the Lord for those ladies. If you're a true believer, you're going to see him someday. They taught the kids the truth concerning Jesus Christ. They taught him the truth when he was a kid. Do you teach your kids the truth of salvation, which is revealed in the scriptures? Do you teach them that? If you don't, you are... I can't even say what you are. It's not a good thing. You are not being obedient to what the Lord's called you to do. Lois and Eunice were godly. They taught Timothy. They taught Timothy... And so we don't know when Timothy was converted. The implication was he was converted in childhood, possibly. But we do know by the time he met Paul in Acts 16 that Paul recognized he was such a faithful servant in a sense he wanted to bring Timothy with him. And Timothy was young. This is the odd couple. Paul, the old guy, and Timothy, the young guy, right? But they were same-souled. Timothy was youthful. Paul would say, let no one look down on your youthfulness, Timothy. Acts chapter 16. Turn there for a second to Acts chapter 16. And he came to also to Derby and to Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was, all, was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul, Paul wanted this man to go with him. He's a believer and he's well spoken of. We're going to think about a reputation. What's your reputation in Christ? If someone was to say, oh, that person, uh, so-and-so, he's a faithful servant of the Lord. Oh, this person, well, I can't say anything. He was well spoken of. Well spoken of. And now I don't really realize, I don't think we realize how extensive at this point, from this point on, how much Timothy was a part of Paul's life. 
Paul speaks of him as his true child in the faith, his beloved son, his son in the Lord, his brother, his co-worker, his fellow servant, and fellow slave. He was with Paul in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, in Corinth, in Ephesus, and here in Rome as he writes this. He is associated with Paul in the writing of some of his letters, such as First and Second Thessalonians, Second Corinthians, Colossians, Philippians here. And when Paul wrote Romans, Timothy was there also. And indeed, First and Second Timothy are Paul's letters to Timothy. To Timothy. And we know in regards to the Philippians, they knew him also. He had been there in Acts 16, Acts 19, and Acts 20. Three times he had been with the Philippians. And so Timothy was of great use to the Apostle Paul. He was willing to do and faithful to do anything and everything Paul, inspired by the Spirit, wanted him to do. He was willing to do anything. But why this man? Simply because of that? Let's take a look at our passage. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send you Timothy shortly so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. So why send Timothy? First of all, we see in verse 28 as he explains, For I have no one else of kindred spirit. The term kindred spirit here is literally same or equaled soul. Same sold. I have no one of that. Remember we saw in the last verse that term well sold. So I think now your NASB says like-minded, or the New King James says like-minded. NASB says kindred spirit. I, I think the term same sold is much better. It's much more than just simply thinking the same way. It's, it's, it's a unity of, of your being in a sense. Same sold. Same sold. He was same sold with Paul. When there was a problem in Corinth, Paul could send Timothy. And he did send him. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians 4, 14. I do not write these things to shame you, but admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent Timothy, sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ Jesus, just as I teach in every church. I can send Timothy, and he's going to remind you of my ways, Paul says, that just as he teaches in every church, he's going to share the word of God with you. He's of same souled. We're of one soul. He will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ. And Timothy was not only same souled in terms of what he would do, but he was same souled in his concern for the Philippians. Notice what he says in verse 20, 20, uh, 20. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely be concerned for your welfare. It's an interesting word translated genuinely here. It's actually, Paul takes a word that speaks literally of born from wedlock, legitimate birth. He's like, Timothy's the real deal. He's not illegitimate. He's genuine. And I have no one else of same soul who will genuinely <coughs> be concerned <coughs> for your welfare. For your welfare. Now the term for your welfare literally speaks of concerning the things of you. I have no one who will genuinely be concerned. Folks, isn't it a blessing to minister with someone who is genuine? No hypocrisy, no hidden motives, no agenda. Genuine. The real deal. The real deal. I have no one else who will genuinely be concerned. Now this word translated concerned is also translated in 4.6, anxious. Anxious. And you might say, wait a second. In Philippians 4.6, we are commanded to be anxious for nothing. How can Paul speak of 
being concerned or anxious in a positive manner. How could he say that? Well, folks, Philippians 4, 6 is we're commanded to be not concerned about our own life circumstances. Just like Jesus commanded us not to be anxious, same word, about food, shelter, and clothing. God will provide that. That type of concern is a wrong concern. It is a self-centered concern. It reveals a lack of faith and a denial of God's care and concern for us, and it is absolutely forbidden. We're not to be anxious about our circumstances in the future. God's sovereign over that. Trust him. It's forbidden to be that way. But we can be concerned for others. That's a genuine concern. And we are to be concerned for others. He's speaking of a concern for others in the context of a relationship with Jesus. One, one concern is selfish and thus reveals pride and a lack of faith, the wrong view of a relationship with God. The other concern is not selfish. It reveals a concern that we would be walking with the Lord rightly in humility and faith, seeing others as more important than ourselves. Do you have someone in your life where you can talk about the reality of where people are at spiritually? Not gossiping, but your concern. Where you're concerned for where they're at, you're praying for them. You have a deep desire and unity for, for them to walk with the Lord and be right. And be right. And believe me, people can make you concerned at times. When there are dangers out there to our faith. And we should be concerned about one another in a godly way. He says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be generally concerned for your welfare. Here the requirement is genuine Christ-like concern for the sheep, for the spiritual condition. Paul was not sending Timothy because he was a good orator, Bible scholar, theologian, because he was popular. His qualification was that he would be genuinely concerned for your welfare. The implication of spiritual welfare. That's the, that's the genuine qualification there. You see, both the Apostle Paul and Timothy emulated the chief shepherd. Turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and is not what? Concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, and I know my own and my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Paul and Timothy had a Christ-like concern for the body of Christ, where they were at in their faith, where they were at in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And folks, don't overlook the sacrifice that Paul was asking Timothy to do at this time. There was no uh, airplanes and you know emails and things like that. Paul was asking Timothy to go back from to Rome from from Rome to Philippi to check on their spiritual condition. This was no simple task. It was incredibly selfless and a sacrifice. It was a long and arduous journey. Remember when Paul was on his way to Rome, he was shipwrecked, experienced many other difficult situations. Paul is not simply asking Timothy to fill in on Sunday, to fill in in the nursery. Asking him, he's asking him to make an incredible sacrifice. Incredible sacrifice. And he says, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. There's no one else. This is a striking statement. There is no one else around me that I could send. Shouldn't there have been some around him? A lot of believers, I guess, Caesar's household, others. Not saying they weren't believers. He's giving a real evaluation of where the people were around him. And honest of us. And by the way, whoever read this would go, ooh, I guess we're not there. Those in Rome, right? I guess Timothy is the only one. Well, that's the reality of it, right? Should be convicting. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. And why? He says, 
literally says, for they all, verse 21, seek after their own interests, not those of Christ. It's a sad statement, but very true in the church these days. It's true in here at times. It's true in our lives. They all continually seek after literally their own things. They don't seek after the things of Christ, they seek after their own things. Everybody who was ministering to him in Rome, in the Roman church, those of Caesar's household, all. I got nobody. Now we already know, and we'll know from next week, that he had already sent Epaphroditus. He's gone. And we also, it was well to note that Luke and Anastarchus were not there at this time. Everyone left, except Paul and Timothy, were those who were not same-souled, who were seeking the things of themselves. Do you live that way? Do you seek the things of yourself every day? Is that the way your life is structured? Let's talk about believers here, by the way. Believers. The reality is there's not many believers totally sold out who are willing to do what God calls them to do, to sacrifice it all to do what God calls them to do. The things of you are in the way. It says, For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, there are very few people here I can ask to do things in terms of the ministry. But there are precious few with a right attitude who will selflessly do whatever I as the shepherd ask them to do, which is right in the Lord, and this brings me joy. Just be honest with you. Paul was honest with them there. Be honest with you. I can't do this. I've got time with my family. Nothing wrong with your family. I can't serve in the nursery. I've got to do this. I can't teach the kids. I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I can't play an instrument. I've I really got other things. I can't do this or that. These are small things. This isn't asking you to go to Rome. Simply put, in those moments, as we all are tempted, the things of you are more important than him. Folks, I'm not saying these things to make you feel bad or offend you, but I hope in the Lord you'll prayerfully evaluate your lives in regards to your faithfulness and selflessness. And my desire is that each one of you would be like Timothy. Timothy was selfless, willing to do, give it up at all for Christ from a changed heart. How about you? Would the scripture, if it was written about you today, like it was about those around Paul this day, would it classify you as one who seeks after your own things or the things of Christ? You know, it's interesting. Timothy was different. All the others who wouldn't genuinely be concerned all sought after their own interests or their own things, but not those of Christ Jesus. In contrast, Timothy was seeking the things of Christ Jesus, the things that are of him, the things that he wants, his interests. Timothy was being just like Jesus Christ who let go of his interests on earth to obey the Father to the point of death being a servant. And Timothy was the same thing. It's no small journey. Salvation worked out. A genuine concern. What an example. We have two options as believers. Our own interests or things or the interests or things of Christ. And what are the things of Christ? Well, to get to know the interests of a person, you must know that person. You must get to know that person, and when you do, you get to know their interests. If you want to know the things of Christ, you want to know what God is interested in, get to know Christ. How do we get to know him? Through his word. His word introduces us to him, and it is his word that we find the mind of Christ, what his desires are in relationship to everything pertaining to life and godliness. Marriage, work, relationships, raising children, everything, ministry, the things of Christ are revealed. They're revealed. There's no way to stay focused on those interests if you're not continually feeding on the Word of God. I could give a myriad of examples. Issues where I see people not training their children rightly. You're focused on the things of you, not the things of Christ. Because God's word is clear what you should be doing. Issues at work. 
Issues in relationships, issues in how one interacts. The things of Christ are to do no thing, all things without complaining and grumbling. The things of me is to get upset at it and grumble. You see the difference? The word prompts us to love the Lord, to obey him, to serve him, to fellowship with him. It prompts us to obey our leaders in Christ, to love the brethren, to serve the brethren, to fellowship with them. Do you seek after your own interests or the interests of Christ? Again, I don't say this to insult you or anger you or irritate you, but to stir you up to evaluate your life rightly before the Lord. Tell you right now, if you don't fellowship with the body of Christ, your interests are above the interests of Christ. Just the reality of it. Now, people can phony fellowship and make that an idol or whatever and be hypocritical. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about genuine desire. If you don't serve in the body of Christ, I'm not talking about official serving. Just you see something that needs to be done, you help somebody. You have a heart that sees others as more important. If you don't do that, your interests are above those of Christ. If you're not in the word of God desiring to know the Lord, your interests are above those of Christ. One pastor writes, it's not that people won't serve Christ the church at all. No, they will. It's that they're not single-minded. The church is made up of perfunctory servers for whom Christ is one of the items on their agenda. Shouldn't be that way. Timothy wasn't that way, and neither was Paul. And I want each one of us to be like Timothy in the heart. We're going to see Timothy, obviously, was a shepherd in a sense, but we're going to see Epaphroditus, same heart attitude, a yielded heart for the things of Christ. Could it be said of you? For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will generally be concerned of your welfare, for they all seek after their interest, not of Christ. Could you be the one that would genuinely seek after the welfare? Is your heart same-souled with Paul's? Honestly, evaluate your heart and your actions. Timothy was seeking the things of Christ rather than the things of self. And yet he was a human being. He had issues. Paul had to encourage him to, to not shrink back, to not to be timid. Paul had to encourage him, just like us, but Timothy had a right heart. He was willing to obey. He was focused on things of Christ. Colossians chapter 3, we're commanded, if we've been raised up with Christ, to keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Today's the day to evaluate what things do I set my mind on. Well, not only was Timothy focused on Christ and the things of Christ, notice he was also a visibly proven servant. He was seasoned. Look at uh, verse 22. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Now, Paul is laying the groundwork for them to receive Timothy again and to receive him rightly. That's why he's sharing this. But we can gather these principles out of here concerning his character. He says, you know of his proven worth. You understand it. You know of it. The word translated proven worth is also translated proven character, dokumon. It speaks of the process of testing in order to approve something or prove it as genuine. It spoke of metals that would be tested by fire. The junk would be taken off, and the result would be a metal that was pure. It was proven to be what it was. We see this in regards to our trials. Our trials are part of that proving process, by the way. Our trials are part of that process that prove us to be genuine in the faith. James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the proving of your faith... Testing is not, not, it's proving. This is to believers. Knowing that when your faith is proven, it produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, and not only this, but we exalt or we boast in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character. Same word. God uses those things in our lives to manifest 
the result of what has been tested. You know that Timothy has proven worth in the context of serving with me. You've seen it. You've seen it. There is a visible reality of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Timothy was not a new convert, but a seasoned believer with a proven demonstrated character. Demonstrated character. Another pastor writes, Paul does not speak about Timothy's achievements. He does not tell us where Timothy had spoken or how many people were converted under his ministry. We're not told about the number of books he's written or the important people whom he had been associated with. We're not told about his charm or charisma or oratory skills. Paul commends Timothy to the Philippians as a man who desires a hearing because of his proven character or worth. He's been tested. You see, when Paul writes Timothy later on concerning the qualifications of elders, he tells them not a new convert, by the way. And then while addressing deacons, he says also referring to them, let them first be tested, let them be proven to be faithful. A visible reality of them faithfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ, manifesting his character. Do you have proven worth as a servant of Christ? Has it been demonstrated such that everyone else can see? I could tell you the answer for each and every one of you guys as a shepherd. I want to watch over your souls. And very few have proven worth, to be honest with you. The process that it has demonstrated. And sadly, I can tell you of those who there's no consistent demonstration of a yielded life manifest in a continual, habitual, humble serving of Christ. Just be honest with you. Paul was honest with them. Yet I praise God for the proven worth of those that are here who have demonstrated faithfully day after day after day. And I could say to you, if I had to send them somewhere, this person, you know it, you've seen their proven worth. They served day in and day out faithfully. You've seen it. You've seen it. And you would have to go, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. How about you? Have you passed the test and been proven worth for serving? Or are you faithful or unreliable? Are you faithful in the Lord, reliable, someone who sees others as more important than themselves, having proven that? It'll prove over time. If you're not, today's the day. God is so gracious. We have the most amazing God. No matter how much we have messed up, no matter how wicked we've been, no matter how sinful we've been, we can just confess and be forgiven and move forward from this point, not looking back. And allow God then to take you and prove and demonstrate his character through you as you serve. Timothy was of proven character. Proven character. And Paul could name his name. And the name was in contrast to everyone else, which implies they're not. They're not. Have you passed the test or failed? Passed the test. Repent, trust the Lord, be faithful. Get the things of you out of there. Jesus Christ said, if you want to follow me, you've got to die to yourself. Take the cross and follow me. Well, lastly, notice Timothy was a submissive servant. He was submissive. He was willing to do whatever the Lord desired through Paul. He was willing. Whatever Paul asked, he was willing to do. There was no, well, you know. Notice what he says. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Now we see Timothy's proven character manifest in the context of the church. He says that, here's the proven worth demonstrated, that he served with me, here's the proven worth, in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. It was manifest, it was visible, and Paul says that he duleoed with me, he slaved with me, with me, by the way. Now, please note, Timothy was not Paul's slave, don't get it wrong. The relationship was not slave-master, but slave-slave. Beginning of Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. Timothy was equal to Paul. Second Timothy 2, suffer hardship along with me as a good servant of Christ, Paul tells Timothy. 
But yet within that slave-slave relationship, Timothy was submissive to the spiritual authority God had placed in his life and had proven character exemplified by that submissive serving to Paul like a child serving his father. They have a relationship and there is an authority in that relationship. The implications are submissiveness and obedience in the context of a family relationship in Christ. Timothy was submissive. And if you're not willing to submit yourself to the spiritual authority God has placed in your life, you will never demonstrate proven character. Never. But you will demonstrate selfishness and pride. And you know if you have this problem or not. Take, for instance, if I ask you to do something as a shepherd, how does your heart react? How does your heart react? Small requests, nothing large like this, tell you that. I've never asked anybody to go on a big journey that sacrificed your life. The Lord hasn't prompted us to do that. We don't see that in Scripture here specifically. Paul was an apostle. But what about serving under the leadership in the church? Where they ask you to do something. Timothy voluntarily submitted to Paul's authority. He was submissive. Timothy was exemplified, and we see this in Paul's command in 1 Thessalonians 5. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. He was willingly pliable. The Lord Jesus didn't consider his quality with God a thing to be grasped, by the way, but humbled himself, right? Taking the form of a bondservant, submissive to the Father. That's our model. Have this mind in you. Hebrews 5, or, yeah, Hebrews, Hebrews, 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 12, and we'll look at Hebrews in a minute, chapter 12. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. You know what I'm talking about. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. And what does it say here? And have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Are you willing to voluntarily let someone have spiritual charge over you and give you instruction? A lot of trouble happens when your heart's not there. Heart's not there. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. So God says, things of Christ versus the things of you. Things of Christ versus things of you. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Timothy was submissive, serving like a child serving his father. Whatever you want, Dad. That's the illustration. Whatever you want. Go get this. You know a child, you have a child that you say, hey, grab that for me. You know, whatever this is. Serving. Yes, yes, yes. There's a common goal for the family, Right? Child serving his father. Faithful servants of Christ Jesus willingly and gladly submit to the spiritual authority God has placed in our lives. They are willing to do so, do what Jesus wants them to do through the requests that often come through the spiritual authority in their lives. Not talking about lording over, but those requests. What an example. What an example. Timothy demonstrated proven worth by submitting to the spiritual authority that Christ placed in his life and was faithful, and it was proven. It was proven. I tell you today, there's probably some here today that have never submitted from the heart to godly authority. The minute someone comes alongside you, you split and go to a different church, or you stay with a bad attitude. This type of behavior exemplifies those who seek their own desires, not those of Christ. And it breaks my heart, and I've seen it. If you're seeking the interests of Christ, you will gladly submit to those Christ has placed over you as they obey him. Timothy was faithful, proven worth. Paul had no one else of like mind, same soul, that he could send Therefore, he desired to send him quickly. Look at our, let's finish our verses here, back in chapter 2, Philippians, verse 23. Therefore, because of all we just learned, therefore I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how the things go with me. And I trust in the Lord. Again, Paul is trusting in the Lord in this. Actually, actually, the word trust here means actually literally I'm persuaded in the Lord. Not the word translated faith usually, but I'm completely persuaded in the Lord that I myself also shall be coming shortly. 
because of I have no one else to send you of same soul who would be interested on the things of Christ. I have no one else of proven worth. I'm going to send Timothy. This is the man. This is why I'm sending him, guys. Receive him. Timothy's a good guy. He's a good guy. And it's evident. It's evident. Let me ask you this. If Paul needed one of us to check up the spiritual condition of his chief somewhere else, would he choose you? Looking at your life, would he choose you to do that? You know the answer. If that answer is no, you need to do some soul searching. What things of me are in the way? Confess it. Be forgiven. Be about the things of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this passage. It is such an encouragement to me. I thank you for those here who are like Timothy. There are some, Lord. I thank you so much. And there will be some who will be like him. They'll be proven over time. I thank you for them. And I pray for those who are about the things of themselves. They know who they are. Lord, today I pray would be the day they're about the things of you. Completely willing, no matter what, to do your will. I pray for that. Thank you for the example of Timothy. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, can I get the choir to come up?